once you're out of control, a lot of things can happen to you. And a lot of those things you can't take back. And you might think that there's nothing at the time that happens, but down the long line of life or whatever, whenever it hits you, it hits you hard. And you realize that this could, this could happen to anyone. This could happen to my mom. This could happen to my sister. This could happen to my best friend. It could happen to, like, literally anybody. Anyone can get taken advantage of and correct their absolutely a horrible idea, especially if you're not, if you don't know that person fully. We have to stop this cycle. It's insanity. We must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. This is your brain on drugs. To me, what's more significant is the way that we socially regard the condition of addiction. Your argument is that it's willpower. Of course it's willpower. It's not willpower. Treat these drugs as a health problem, not a criminal problem. Okay. And, and, And that's something which seems to me to be, uh, you know, it works. Folks don't talk about it. We talk about cancer, we talk about heart disease, but people are afraid and ashamed to talk about drug addiction. Welcome back, everyone. We're on part two of our Sex and Drugs series. In the first episode, we talked about how drugs are sometimes used by people attempting to enhance consensual sex with a partner. If you haven't listened to it yet, be sure to check it out. In this episode, We're going to dive into the importance of consent and the interplay of drugs and alcohol in getting and giving consent. Trigger warning, this episode will deal with sexual assault and will include interviews and stories from assault survivors. Please take caution if you're listening with children. As we get ready for St. Patrick's Day and spring break season, it's vital to have a clear understanding of what consent actually is. In short, Consent is the freely given, preferably enthusiastic, agreement between two conscious people to engage in a sexual act. A person who is sleeping, unconscious, or otherwise impaired cannot provide consent. It's also very important to recognize that consent can be withdrawn at any time. If you are having sex with someone and they ask to stop, you must stop. This is basic human decency, people. So what is consent? What happens when someone ignores another's consent? What happens when intoxicating substances are used by attackers to intentionally remove the barrier of consent? And how can you make sure that any sex you're having is mutually consensual? We have some guests on today's show that have shared personal accounts of their experiences with drug-facilitated sexual assault. We will also be talking with a drug researcher about a lesser-known culprit, synthetic marijuana, and how its effects can leave someone vulnerable to assault. And we'll leave you with some guidance on creating a safe space for your partner during sex. The term non-consensual sex is an outdated term. Think about it. If sex is not consensual, it is an act of assault or violence. Sexual assault is a broad term used to include any form of sexual contact with another person without their clear and voluntary consent. Sexual assault does not have to include penetration in order to be considered sexual assault. It can include unwanted touching and groping. 
Unfortunately, sexual assault is disturbingly common. Every 98 seconds, someone in the U.S. is sexually assaulted. That translates to more than 570 people every single day that experience sexual violence. Often, when we think about these kinds of crimes, we think about stranger assault. But sexual assault by an acquaintance, family member, or friend is more common than stranger assault. In fact, almost 76% of rapes are committed by someone that the victim knew. The rape may involve intimidation, threats, coercion, and or substances to help facilitate memory loss. When drugs or alcohol are involved, it is called drug-facilitated sexual assault, or DFSA. DFSA is a non-consensual sexual act that occurs when the survivor or the perpetrator or both have voluntarily or involuntarily consumed substances. Well-known drugs that are used to facilitate sexual assault include Rohypnol, also known as Rufi's, GHB, ketamine, and the most common one, alcohol. In a survey of 1,053 current or recent college students who experienced sexual assault, 62% reported drinking alcohol prior to the incident, 10% reported taking drugs other than alcohol, and 9% believed they were slipped a drug without their consent. Here to share her story of being slipped a drug without her consent is a woman who we'll call Jane to protect her identity. It started off as a normal night. Um, we got in the lift and we headed to the club. Um, you know, we waited in the line. Once we arrived to the club, um, there was sort of like um, a long entryway. And I just remember distinctly there was um, a op big open bar. And the bartender uh, looked, looked at us and he said, well, hello, ladies. And there were two already um, pre-made drinks, which was just kind of odd because you are typically paying high dollar for the drinks downtown. So to receive uh, two free drinks and to um, be sort of like treated like VIP was pretty cool. So we accepted the drinks, even though we didn't see them being made. Uh, shortly after that, I would say about 20 minutes, we were, um, these two men came up to us and were kind of talking to us. From what I remember, uh, I just kind of like wanted to get away from them. I didn't really want to talk to them. And I remember going to the dance floor after that. And um, my friend and I, we both, we both sort of were like falling down and we didn't remember much. Um, they thought that we were so drunk that um, I believe we got kicked out. but. Um, from what I remember, well, I don't remember getting in a lift, but I believe we got in a lift, and I'm not sure what happened, but we were, um, I was found outside of, the, um, like, an actual park, and um, somebody came up to me, and I was laying on some steps, and this um, group of teenagers, they were like, hey, are you okay? Like, what? why are you out here? And I was so confused. I still thought I was downtown and I didn't know where I was and I just completely was, did not know what was going on. So uh, waking up and feeling like that was just horrific and it was really scary. And um, I know, I, I knew my tolerance for alcohol and I knew that there was something that was put in my drink. 
A fun night out can quickly turn into a nightmare when someone can so easily slip something into your drink without your awareness. In her case, she woke up in a strange location, unable to recall what happened. Others face more severe consequences. It is very scary to think about what can happen to you when you're in an altered state of consciousness, especially when you had no say in your own level of intoxication. And while alcohol is a common culprit, the truth is any mind-altering substance can alter consent. Let's talk about a rarely mentioned culprit, spice, or K2. Because K2 was originally marketed as a safer alternative to marijuana, many people assume that the drug is safe. But what researchers have found is that the risks of synthetic cannabinoids can be much more severe than many people originally thought. We talked with Dr. Ulf Dunissen, I'm probably saying that wrong and I'm sorry, from Maastricht University in the Netherlands about the fact that spice was marketed as a safe marijuana alternative, but in fact, synthetic marijuana products are anything but. That's how they were marketed and um, also with the argument that they were not detectable in drug screens, for instance. And, yeah, a lot of people kind of uh, follow that reasoning, uh, but it's it's not the case. Um, you have the risk of, uh, yeah, not knowing what's in there. You have the risk of not knowing what the dose is. And then you have, of course, also the, the risk of contamination because it's produced in illegal labs, so you don't know what's in there. I understood that there uh, are, especially in Asia, uh, these little factories that produce, uh, how was the word, like cleaning products, and they have this as a, on the side. They can easily produce. It's very easy to produce, apparently. Um, so they produce synthetic drugs or synthetic cannabinoids on the side. So yeah, it's it's manufactured in, in these illegal factories where they have all kind of products. So you really don't know what's in there, and that's the main risk. It can uh, have little effects. But uh, the next time, the effects could be quite serious. And I've seen and, and read a lot of stories where people really pass out and um, don't know what happened uh, like half an hour after the intake. And yeah, that's, of course, very dangerous. And they can end up in a hospital. Our guest, Caitlin, has experienced this incapacitation firsthand. Basically, I was seeing this guy... And we had planned a night of camping and drinking with, like, two of our friends. And I had no idea that synthetic marijuana was going to be there. Um, but this is, like, my first time ever really drinking, too. And I didn't have a lot because it was poor loco. It was pretty gross. And then I smoked a K2, and that's what really messed me up. And it was, like, within an hour or two of being there, I just remember, like, laying in my tent. And he's, like, kissing me, and then he, like, starts taking off my shorts, and I was, like, no. And I said that at least three times. I was, like, no, no, no. And the ceiling was spinning, and I couldn't do anything. Um, And he raped me, like, I think, according to him, he raped me seven times. That's what he told people, that he hit it seven times. For victims, the effects of drug-facilitated sexual assault extend well beyond the assault itself, causing problems like post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, 
problems with intimacy, physical health issues, and suicidal thoughts. For me, it was like I put myself in a dumb situation. Yeah, I knew where I was and who I was with, but at the same time, I have to like keep reminding myself like I didn't ask to be raped. I didn't ask like seven years down the road to be diagnosed with PTSD. I didn't ask to have anxiety left and right if I hear that name or I think of him in general. Like I didn't ask for any of that. And I think that's the biggest thing that I have to keep reminding myself is just like standing my ground. Drug-facilitated sexual assault can cause long-lasting problems for survivors, and it is depressingly common. Substances were reportedly involved in 8.4% of college campus rapes, and in most of these cases, the victim had been partying before they were assaulted. For those who want some quick advice on how you can best look out for yourself and others, here's a quick list. Eat a big meal before you go out. Go out with a large group of friends that you trust. Use the buddy system. Ask someone to stay with you to make sure you're okay and do the same for them. Drink water. And always watch your drink, both as it's being made and while you still have it. Don't put it down anywhere and then return to it and drink it. If it has been out of your sight, you're safer getting another one. Do what you can to keep yourself and others safe and never forget that it is not in any way your fault if something happens. Consent is everything when it comes to sex. If you do not have the freely given, preferably enthusiastic consent of your partner, then you are not having sex, you are committing sexual assault. And someone who is blacked out from drugs or alcohol is not giving you an enthusiastic yes. You do not have permission to assault someone because they're unable to say no. If you are not concerned about the consent of your partner, if you think that you don't need consent if your partner is intoxicated, or even if it has just never really occurred to you to check in about it, you're doing it wrong. And if you can't do a consent check-in because one or both of you is too impaired by drugs or alcohol, stop. And this is the part that's really important with what we're talking about here with sexuality and, um, and drugs, that uh, we need to be in our bodies to make consent and to listen to our bodies as that changes for us, you know, from every second uh, along the way. And if we're not in our bodies, it's really hard to make those choices. Substances can certainly impact a person's ability to give cognizant consent. There are also many not-so-obvious things that can have an impact. Amy Baldwin, the certified sexpert from our last episode, teaches about consent on a daily basis. She emphasizes issues that can complicate consent, like social pressure and pressure to comply with your partner's desires. Many people experience this unspoken pressure, and it can result in a hesitant yes that really means, I don't want this, but I don't feel comfortable saying that. Certain situations can make people feel pressured to say yes despite feeling hesitant, especially if they are intoxicated. We don't only need to listen to ourselves, we need to listen to our partners. Don't try to have sex with someone who is clearly blacked out or too drunk or high to say yes. If it seems like your partner isn't sober enough to give consent, they aren't. 
If stopping to make sure your partner is okay means a fleeting moment of awkwardness, so be it. It's better than a potential lifetime of repercussions for your partner. These kinds of clear consent check-ins are especially important when substances are involved. If you have any sliver of doubt, you are safer swallowing your pride and checking in. And again, if your partner seems hesitant or can't give you clear answers, take that as a no. Those of us who have faced the fallout of being sexually assaulted, like Jane and Caitlin, know what it's like to have your consent completely disregarded, and it's absolutely awful. As you head into this season of partying, remember the number one rule, don't assault people. And the number two rule, look out for each other. Stay safe, everyone. You can read more of Dr. Teunissen's incredible research by visiting our transcript page links. Caitlin recently published an open letter to her rapist in the Indie Week, a newspaper in North Carolina where she works as a photojournalist. You can read more of her powerful story there. Amy Baldwin co-hosts a radical podcast called Shameless Sex and runs a local sex-positive sex shop with her mother in Santa Cruz, California called Pure Pleasure. You can visit them at www.purepleasureshop.com. And finally, you can support survivors like Jane by speaking up if you see something happening, believing victims of sexual assault, and offering compassion and support as they work through their healing process. For behind-the-scenes looks and sneak peeks of upcoming episodes, check out our Instagram, Let's Talk Drugs Podcast. Reach out to us with hashtag Let's Talk Drugs with your stories, your questions, your anything. We just want to hear from you. Until next time, I'm Lolly, and this has been Let's Talk Drugs. If you or someone you love is struggling with drug or alcohol abuse, we are here to help. Our support specialists are available 24-7 to connect you with the best treatment options so that you can start healing today.